Well, good morning. Welcome to LifePoint today. My name is Donnie Williams. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're here for the first time, I just want to say thanks for coming, checking out our church and spending part of your morning with us. We'd love to meet you after the service. I'll be down front along with a couple of our other pastors. And we'd just like for you to come by and say hello and tell us a little bit about what brought you here to our church today. Well, we're starting a brand new series today. It's called Take a Step. When I look back on my life, I think about some very significant steps that I took that when I look back on them, it's like the greatest decision of my life. And I look back and think, if I had not made that decision and taken that risk and taking that step, I wouldn't be where I am today. So as I was putting this message together, I thought, what's a big step that I took that I reaped huge rewards from it? When I was in college, I asked this girl, Cinda Westfall, on a date. Before I asked her on a date, I was a little nervous, wasn't sure if I, was, if I should, because we were friends, so I didn't know, am I friend-zoned, am I not, you know, what, where are we here? And so I, I didn't want to risk that, so I just put my fears aside, and I took a step, and I asked her out. And we went on one date, two dates, three dates. A couple years later, we got engaged. Several months after that, we got married. We have two wonderful children. And because I took that step in the early 90s and got out of my comfort zone, my life has been amazing. My marriage is amazing because I took that step and said, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. And, and my wife, if you know her, she is the most easy person in the world to get along with. Like, trust me, she's very easy to get along with. She's like almost sainthood if, if that kind of thing happened. I mean, she, she would definitely be there. And she's as responsible for any leadership results that I've had than anybody else. All because I look back and I think I made that decision and I took that step. You probably have stories like that too, where you took a step and maybe you moved to a new city. Maybe you went away to school or you changed your major or you did what I did. You got up your courage and you asked somebody out and you asked him to marry you. And, and, and we can all look back in life and find things that we did and steps that we took and say, I am so glad that I took that step because now my life is different because of it. Well, this series, Take a Step, is all about helping you take a step that if you stick with me and you take the step that we're talking about, you will, I am confident, look back on this step and say, that is one of the greatest steps I ever took. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about what our lives would look like if we took one step of generosity. Now you're like, generosity? How'd you start talking about marriage and now you're talking about money? How'd you make that transition? That was pretty slick, wasn't it? (laughs) And if you're here for the first time, you're probably thinking, I knew it. All the church wants to talk about is money. Well, that's not true. It's really, if you listen back to messages, we don't talk about it all that much. The church doesn't want, just want your money. That's not what it's about. But we do have a capacity to have a relationship with someone or some entity outside of ourselves that just wants ourselves that just wants our money. In the last 60 seconds on amazon.com, $84,000 worth of goods were sold. In the next 60 seconds, $84,000 worth of goods. Every minute of every day, 
every month of every year, $84,000. And you know what Amazon.com wants from you? Your money. You're going to go to lunch today and you're going to sit down and a waiter, a waitress, they're going to be really nice to you. Do you know what they want from you? Your money. But you're still going to go to lunch. In a few weeks, you're going to get the Thanksgiving Day ad and you're going to look and say, this is worth standing out in the cold in line to go buy. And you're going to go to a store and guess what that store wants from you? Your money. Nobody says, yeah, I'm not going to that store. All they want's my money. That's all they're looking for is me to just give them money. Forget it. I'm just not going to do it. This series is not about the church getting money. It's about your heart. Because I am convinced that generosity on the outside is connected to what's going on on the inside. And I'm 100% positive if you take that step in generosity and start to build your trust in God, it's going to make a huge difference. And you may not realize it, but there's a lot in the Bible about money. A lot of stuff. One in seven verses in the New Testament It's about money and possessions. When Jesus taught, the parables that Jesus taught, little stories that he told to try to get people to think more than just about this world, two-thirds of those have to do with money. So there's a lot in the Bible about money because money has always had this big pull on people. So in order for me to be a responsible leader, I need to talk about that which is talked about in the Bible a lot, And also that which tends to have a very strong pull on our lives. Why does it? Because spending money is fun. That's true. You might see me in line on Black Friday, buying something that I think is a deal of a lifetime. If I miss it that day, I'll know I got to wait 365 days to get another one. Because spending money is enjoyable. You can buy cool stuff with it. But nobody says, I want the world to get such a grip on my heart that I'm not generous. I want the world to guide where I go. I want the world to guide my future. And every step I take, I want it to be deeper into a world that just wants something from me and doesn't want anything for me. Nobody says that. We all, I mean, we, nobody would say, I am not a generous person. Everybody believes that on some level, they're generous. And so we are going to kick off this series with a principle that's outlined in Scripture that's talked about several places in Scripture. We're going to look at one section of Scripture that outlines this principle that's just as true today as it was almost 2,000 years ago when it was written. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will give you one of those. It's yours to keep. You can borrow it or you can just uh, read the Scriptures along with me on the screen as they come up. We're going to read a section of the New Testament that was written by a man that was very skeptical. If you started getting skeptical when I started talking about money, you would identify with this man that wrote what we're going to read today. In fact, he was so skeptical of people who followed Jesus, he approved of them being killed. He approved of them being put into prison. And he was like standing on the sidelines going, yes, put that Christian in prison. But then he had this dramatic encounter with Jesus, and it changed everything. You may have heard about him before. He's called the, his name is the Apostle Paul. And Paul planted churches 
And then Paul would write letters to those churches, and we're going to read one of those letters written to a church full of new followers of Christ, and he's telling them to be generous with their money towards the local church. But he puts it in an illustration that helped them understand. They were farmers, and, and so he put it in a way that helped them understand. So when he's talking about them giving to the local church, here's what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Now we have to understand when it comes to generosity, what Paul is trying to say, it is a personal matter. Generosity is connected to my heart. It's connected to my motives. It's a personal decision. And he's saying, you can't be guilted into it. You have to give generously. That's God's desire for everybody. Now, I could guilt you into giving. I could, I could put some pictures of some poor hungry kids on the screen and you would, you would want to give. I'm not above doing that. I mean, we've done that before and I'll probably do it again. But it makes you say, oh, we got to do something, get the checkbook out. And it does make a difference. But the thing about that kind of giving, the kind that kind of plays on our heartstrings and, and makes us feel like I have so much, so I must give some to somebody else who doesn't have what I have. That's not a bad motive. It's just not lasting. I mean, guilt does motivate us. And maybe there are times we should feel that way. But Paul is saying, look, your generosity needs to come from your heart. And so my challenge as I talk to you about giving money is to present it in such a way that you don't feel guilty, that you don't feel like, well, all the church cares about is my money, and to present it in a way that that has life-applicable principles that we can take away and say, that's what I need to apply to my life to experience all God has for me. And so that's what my challenge is every time I talk about money. So in this section of scripture, we have to make sure we don't miss this core principle. And the core principle is, the way way he talks about it is, if you plant a few seeds, you're going to get a small crop. But if you plant generously, you're going to get a generous crop. Some translations of the Bible, instead of saying planting, they talk about sowing, sowing seed. And so if you're into our sermon in a sentence, here's our sermon in a sentence for today. If you want to tweet this, Facebook it, uh, tell friends about it, whatever, here it is. What you sow is what you grow. I mean, that's the principle that Paul is communicating to this first century church and to us. Now, we already understand this idea that what you sow is what you grow. I mean, in, in positive and negative ways. If you are going to run a marathon, you don't show up on Saturday or Sunday morning of the marathon and say, hey, I'm going to run this today. And you hadn't prepared because you'll probably die or wish you were dead after you tried to do it. You wouldn't be able to do it. But the person who prepares, the person who sows preparation, they reap a benefit. You teenagers, you people who are still in school, when you study, you are sowing seeds of preparation. And then when you take a test, Hopefully, you're reaping the benefits of you studying. If I ever hear my girl say, she or he gave me a bad grade, I say, teachers don't give you grades. 
You earn grades. They just write down what you did. Their, their job's to get you prepared for it, but you're not given grades. You earn them. One time we were at a, a parent conference and leaving the room, I heard a parent behind me say to the teacher, why did you give my son a D? And I had a decision to make. Do I butt into this conversation because he had a really strong opinion? I didn't. But what I ended up thinking was, you did not give. I wanted to say to that parent, she didn't give your kid a D. Your kid got a D because they didn't study. That's why they got a D. Because what they were sowing was lack of preparation. So when it came time to the, for the test, they weren't ready. So it's a principle that works throughout all of life. Right now, I've got this really old SUV. I'm selling it because there's all this stuff wrong with it. Don't come up and ask me how much you want for it because I'm not going to sell it to anybody I know because there's a lot of things wrong with it. So when people come to look at it, I have a list of all the things that are wrong. And I go around before they ever drive it. This is wrong. That's wrong. That doesn't work. Transmission slips, all this kind of stuff. And I tell them what's wrong. And one day a guy was looking at it and he said, why are you telling me all this? Do you want to sell this? like, yeah, I want to sell it, but I don't want to lie and say it's great when it's not great. I want to tell you what's wrong so that doesn't come back on me when I'm out looking at somebody else's car to buy it. And then I'm the one that reaps what I was sowing. And plus, there's a lot of people go to our church I don't know. And what if somebody, you know, buys it that goes to our church and they think I bought a bad car from the pastor? That's my fear. So don't call me about it. I'm not going to sell it to you. If you just had your yard seeded and aerated, you did that because in the spring, you want that seed to get in and germinate when we have those cold nights. And in the spring and early summer, you want nice, lush, green grass. If you don't do that now, it's too late in the summer. It's too late. You're not going to be able to have this nice green yard unless you get it painted that way, which you actually can do. But you're not going to have real grass growing in your yard, but you will If you sow now, you'll reap the benefit later. What you sow in life is what you grow. And Paul goes on to say this, and God will generously provide all you need. So he's saying, give from the heart, don't be guilted into it. And when you do that, God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, They share freely and give generously to the poor, for their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Now, to boil down what he's trying to say is, number one, where does the farmer get the seed in the first place? God. Who provides the increase? God. So where does God keep his money? He's got all the money in the world. Where does he keep it? He keeps it in your bank account. That's where God keeps it. So I know whatever we're doing as a church where finances are required, I know we have all the money. God has all the money that we need to do that. And he gave it to you to take care of. So we have already all the money we need at our disposal to fulfill the mission that we have as a church of helping people connect with God, and you are in charge of it. God has put it in your bank account. So how do you learn to be generous? How did you learn how to ride a bike? Did you read a book? Did your mom and dad just tell you how to do it? And you're like, got it. You did it. You learned it by doing it. And generosity is the same way. You can't learn to be generous by listening to my message. 
You can't learn to be generous by listening to somebody else. That might motivate you to take the first step, but you can't learn it without doing it. And so what Paul is trying to say is, look, start doing it. And when you start doing it, you're going to have this newfound blessing in your life that you'd never had otherwise. And God is going to provide a harvest of more generosity in your life. What you sow is what you grow. So just listen to this. Everybody pay attention. Here, here's, here's what I want you to do over the next few weeks. I want you to, number one, give this a chance. Don't say, well, I'm already generous, so hey, honey, we're off church three weeks in a row because I know they're going to talk about money. This is going to go a direction that maybe you don't even anticipate. So come back and continue to listen to this series about taking a step in generosity. Second thing we're asking you to do, not just to come back, but we want you to consider going on a journey of generosity. Wherever you are to determine where you are in your generosity and take a step. Doesn't matter your income level, how much, how little, just take a step up wherever you are. It's not about dollar amounts, it's about trust. It's about taking a step. A few months ago, a lady at our church, uh, she and her husband and their family go here, she called me up to tell me the story of them giving for the first time. And it was a really great story. And at the end of that story, I was like, I want our church to hear that story. Will you let us video that? Will you come in and talk to us? And so we finally got that worked out and it fits perfectly into this message today for you to hear a story of a family that went on a journey of generosity. So take a look at the screen. We had been invited by a friend to come enjoy LifePoint. We had been unplugged for a while, not been going to a church, and I knew deep down I really needed to be plugged back in. Uh, We took a step of faith and joined one of the small groups while we were here Mm -hmm. and really started reaching out to God. There was a void in our lives and we had to fill it. Uh, We had tried everything else on our own and everything else wasn't working. Um, My job was difficult. We weren't meeting our bills, we weren't meeting our obligations. I was having some challenges there. So we asked God to help us. I started putting out my resume, started inquiring about positions and a job had come out of the blue um, and they had given me some numbers and went home and spoke with my wife about it and it actually worked out for us. I had felt that with the blessing of the job that he was providing the income and it was all because God had provided, not because I had done it. Then I needed to be more faithful and trust him. So we had discussed tithing and in my opinion, tithing God's way. 100% of everything belongs to God. He's only asking for 10% of it back. And what we did was, I wanted to give the first fruits of how he was blessing us. And to me, first fruits is the best of what he gives you. And that means when I get my check, it's not tithing off that number that's on the check, but going back to the stub and looking at what did I make before the taxes, before the government took their share, before I paid for health insurance, before anything else that came out. You know, that's the first fruit number. And that's what I wanted to give, and that's where my heart was to give that number. And that, you know, obviously cost him. This made me incredibly nervous. I was very upset about it because I've always put my security in money. So I prayed and I prayed about it, and I was angry about it and resentful about it. 
but we got to church that Sunday where we had planned and calculated how much we were gonna give. And then the, you know, the morning wore on and the collection plate came around and my husband made me put the money <laughs> in the basket and um, off it went. So that was our first morning and I still had to pray about it after that. I still was not okay with it. Um, and honestly, I, I still get some anxiety when I know that, well, we've gotten some more income and it's time to tithe that now. I still get anxiety over it. I still have to pray about it. It's paralyzing for a minute. You really have to get over the shock of it and go back to remembering, well, God's provided for us in the past and this has happened and this is just another challenge that I really believe that the enemy is putting in front of us to keep us from from obeying God. And when we obey God every time, there's always provision. We always get through it. The benefit that I see of giving is to give with a joyful heart is really when the blessings really start to come. You can't outgive God. And that doesn't mean that He's going to give you more money. It may be blessings in other ways. Uh, Maybe health. It could be longer life. It could be, you know, your child decides to get baptized. Um, all these things are blessings. And God's taking care of us in every aspect right now. And we're very, very happy that we're able to give happily and joyfully, knowing the enemy's still out there trying to prod us into, you know, doubting. That still happens. And, still you know, happens. we get these unexpected expenses and, you know, it, it creates some concern, but God's still standing there whispering quietly, I'm here, trust me. A couple of things we can learn from that family is, it's not always easy to take that step. It can be really scary to take that step, especially if, if your security is in money, is in stuff. And one of the things that he said that, that I think we really need to think about, that God is going to bless us, no question, when we're more generous. No question about it. He promises that. It's over and over in Scripture again, the promise of blessing in our lives when we are generous. But I loved what he said when he said it may not be financial. So I'm not promising you're more generous so you get that car you always wanted. That might be what happens, but that may not be what happens. In their case, their daughter was baptized. And they're, they're, I wish you could hear their entire story about their blessings and their financial blessings because of their generosity. Now, you may not be able to, to jump right into tithing. There may be all these obstacles. I understand that. We're going to help you with this through this series. That's their journey. Your journey will be different. Here are the stats on how generous people are to their local church. In churches across America, 50% of churchgoers give that much. Zero. So I read that and I was like, not our church. No way. So I told my stats people, hey, figure out, give me the stat for how many people call LifePoint their church home and yet they, they don't give anything. And these are people that have been beyond five weeks. So if you're first or second time, you're not in this number. But people that that go beyond our try five into week six and beyond. And so when they gave me the number, I was a little shocked. 54% of the people who call this church their home don't give a thing. Now, I'm not doing this because we need your money. I'm doing this because I'm your leader and it's what I want for you. If I found out that 54% of the marriages in our church were failing, you know what I would talk about the next week? Say it, marriage. 
If I found out that 54%, if this or whatever, this, this, a number, I don't want to point people out. If, if 54% of our church dealt with addiction, you know what I would talk about a lot? Addiction to help people get past it. If 54% of our people dealt with any one spiritual issue where they needed to take a step as your leader, it's my responsibility to talk about those things. So all I'm doing, I'm not trying to get your money. I'm just trying to be the best leader that I could be. And so 54% of you need to take a step or you need to find a vision somewhere else that you can believe in enough to give towards it. If you don't believe in what we're doing, if the, the story of 64 baptisms this year, lives changed, kids coming to know Jesus, marriages being saved, churches being planted, if that doesn't motivate you to give to the vision God has for our church, I want you to be motivated by some vision. I hope it's this one. And I hope you say, you know what? I, I've just been missing it. I'm sorry. I, I want to take a step up. I don't want to be in that 54% anymore. So it's my responsibility to talk to you about generosity. Even though when I list my top 10 things, I love to talk about, this one's not at the top. It might be closer to number 10, but that doesn't mean I'm not gonna talk about it just because it makes me uncomfortable or there's a risk of you misunderstanding it or a risk of you saying, well, let's not go back the next three weeks because we know what they're talking about. I still have to talk about it and my challenge is to do it in a way that doesn't make you feel guilty and make you feel like, well, all they're caring about is our money. I mean, I considered that route, but I chose to go this route. So I want you to see this as an opportunity to grow. So just two things over the next three weeks. Determine where you are in your giving and take a step. That's it. It's not about amounts. We're not asking for amounts. We're asking you to go on a journey. So right now, 46% of you can stop listening as I talk to people that I want to see give for the very first time. I'm not talking about today. I'm talking about, I want you to think about what would it take for me to take a step in my giving and give for the very first time? What, what would, come and talk to me and say, hey, if I knew this, if you could give me an answer to that, then, then maybe, maybe it would motivate me to give. Whatever it is, I want to challenge you people in that 54% to step up, take a step, and give something. The amount, I don't care about the amount, just start contributing to a vision that's bigger than you. And so that's what we want to see happen. Everybody in this 54%, we want you to say, all right, I'm going to take a step. I'm going to get on this journey of generosity. And I'm going to just take a step and be a part of something bigger than myself. And then if you've already given for the first time, maybe some of you have only given one time. Because after you give once, you're no longer a first-time giver. And what we want people to do after that is to become a consistent giver. And a consistent giver is someone that they, they think about, okay, we're consistently going to give something. Maybe you uh, use your app on your smartphone that we have, uh, push pay, and you, you give. Or you go out to our kiosk out there, the iPad, where you can, you can give online. Or uh, maybe you just put good old-fashioned cash in the plate as it goes by a little bit later. But you become consistent, and you say, I'm going to give to the vision of my local church on a consistent basis. And you say, I'm going to become a consistent giver. Some of you need to take this step. It's going to release the world's hold on your heart and on your money and on the things you might be investing in that have no eternal value by becoming a consistent giver. And if you're already there and you say, well, I already do that. I, I give on a consistent basis. We want everybody to take 
that's on that level to take a step up and become an intentional giver. An intentional giver is a person that starts to think about their giving as it relates to other things in their life. By spending money intentionally, for instance, a couple of months ago, the new iPhone 6 came out. I'm jealous. I'm in a contract. I can't get one and I want one. But you made a decision that you're going to pay AT&T or Verizon or Sprint or somebody a monthly fee so you can have access to the newest, latest, coolest device in the world. And you've said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to fit that into my budget. If you have a car payment, if you have a mortgage, you're intentional about making sure you do that. You would not think of calling up Bank of America except in extreme circumstances and say, hey, you know what? I'm running a little short this month. Uh, can, I, can I just you know, skip a month? Is that okay? No, you probably make a decision when you sign the mortgage documents, you are going to pay that. And if you have to do without other things to meet your obligations, you do. Or you don't get to live in your house for very much longer or drive your car for very much longer. They will cut your phone off if you stop paying the bill. An intentional giver says, I am going to spend as much on my generosity as I do for cable, as I do for my cell bill, whatever. They just start to think about their giving as it relates to other things that they spend money on. That's what an intentional giver is. And some of you need to, to move from being a consistent giver and take a step and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to become an intentional giver. And then some people, what you need to do, I've been standing on the wrong step, totally blown illustration. Some people, some people need to step up and say, you know what, I, I'm going to become a tither. I'm gonna step into tithing. Now, this, this is what only 3 to 5% of people who attend church get in on. Only 3 to 5%. And so what we're asking you to do is, if, if you're an intentional giver, or maybe you haven't ever given, maybe you jump right up here to this level. But tithing is simply faithfully giving 10% of your income back to God, to your local church, on a consistent basis. That's what tithing is. Now, is there a command in the New Testament that says, thou shalt tithe? There is not. Did Jesus say, thou shalt tithe? He did not. He more assumed it, but actually, when people asked Jesus, how much do I give? You know what his answer was? All, everything. So now you're thinking, I think I'll stick with tithing. I kind of like that. It really makes a lot of sense, 10%. So what people who tithe do, they, they take the first 10%, like the family you heard on the screen. They say, 10% of this goes to God. And I feel it. It's going to cost me something. It's going to be figured into my monthly expenses. The first 10%, whether it's net or gross, somebody always asks me that. I don't care. Just do it. Just start 10% without trying to get your net down to as little as you can so you can still feel like you tithe. But people always ask, net or gross, doesn't matter. Just start tithing. Just begin. Just start doing it. Tithing costs us something. You may think, how in the world could I ever do that? In the Old Testament, there was a king. His name was David. And David was getting ready to sacrifice to God. And, and so he goes to get these animal sacrifices to sacrifice them in a specific place. And so the king shows up and the farmer is so impressed that the king is coming uh, to get his stuff to sacrifice. He says, I'm going to give it to you, king. You can have these bulls. You can take them and sacrifice them to God. And here's what King David said. No, 
I insist on buying it. For I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord God that have cost me nothing. So tithing costs us something. Some of you need to take this step up to this level that only three to 5% of churchgoers choose to do and say, you know what? I'm gonna become a tither. But there's a level beyond tithing. One time a guy that goes to our church, used to go to our church, took me out to coffee and, and he said, hey, I wanna talk to you about my giving. And, and he, was, he was a very generous person. And he said, you know, I tithe, but I, I don't really miss it. It's like, it's nothing to me. Now his tithe was, tithe was $3,000 a month. So I'm like, well, can I switch places with you? Because that would be really cool for three grand a month to be zero. To, he was like, I don't even miss it. And he said, what should I do? And I was like, I think you should give more. <laughs> That's what I think. That's what I think you should do. If you don't miss it, if you don't feel like it's a sacrifice, try more. And he did. He went to a level that was sacrificial. He went to a level that he missed. And there are people who say, you know what? I need to go beyond tithing. We have staff that go beyond the tithe to be generous. And so when you do that, when you make that decision to go beyond tithing, that's when you move in to being radically generous. This is where things really start to to change. This this radical generosity, you're no longer thinking, here's something I, I have to do, I've committed to do, here's something that's in my budget. A radical, gener- radically generous person says, this is something I get to do. They enjoy it. They have fun with it. They love seeing lives changed by the money that they give. They love seeing people led to Christ. They love seeing a difference being made in the world. These people are concerned about legacy. What does their legacy look like? And they're willing to give anything towards it. Just this week, somebody came up to me who heard about our vision, some things we're going to do in the future that you're going to get to hear over the next few weeks. And he said to me, how do I make that happen? And I knew what he meant. He meant, how big of a check do I need to write? If you're in here, I'm gonna get back to you. I'm gonna let you know. But he's not thinking about, oh gosh, I gotta help. He's thinking about, I get to help that vision. Some of you have been tithing for years. You don't even miss it. You need to take a step of trust and faith and go up a level of your generosity to where you feel it, to where it becomes a blessing that you get to do, not something that you have to do. So what would our church look like if everybody here, if everybody here said, I'm going to take a step up in my generosity. So when you leave today, you're going to get a card that looks just like that. I want everybody to take one. Now, for some of you, when you hear this, when you see these levels, it kind of stings a little bit because you're without a job or you just went through a divorce or something else unfortunate has happened in your life where you have zero. So, you know, a percentage of zero, guess what that still is? zero. So it stings a little bit when I talk about it because you want to, but you can't. I understand that those times happen in life. But the goal is for everybody here to say, that's where I am and I'm going to do the first time. That's where I am. I'm going to do that. That's where I am. I'm going to do that and move up a step. And for a couple of weeks, I don't want you to do it today. I don't want you to feel motivated by a message and music and just all of a sudden start to do it today. I want you to take that card and I want you to pray about it. If you're married, sit down with your family and talk about it. If you're single, talk to your friends about it or just pray about it individually and make a decision, which one of those levels do I need to step up to? Which one? 
And then the 23rd and the 30th of this month, you're going to have an opportunity to bring those cards back. You're going to check which level you're committing to jump up to. We don't know amounts. Amounts aren't important. It's us saying, I'm going to take a step up in my level of generosity. We want you to do that. And the reason we want you to do that is because I've seen generosity change people's lives perhaps more than any other thing, any other step beyond stepping into the family of God that you can do. And so take that, pray over it. We'll give you more instructions on how to return that card when the time comes. But I would like for everybody in here to do that. And then for the next 90 days, after you turn that card in, to give it a shot and watch what happens. Watch what starts to grow because you sow seeds of generosity. The Apostle Paul ends this letter or ends this section of this scripture by saying, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. God promises us that. Give it 90 days and see what happens. So can I count on you to take a card and bring it back? Can I count on you guys to do that and be with us on that? And give it a shot. Pray and let God reveal to you what you're supposed to do. Come back and listen to this series. I hope you do it. Let's pray. God, thank you for the generosity that people display. The story of this family that we heard today that they put their fears aside and they stepped up and became generous. I pray that today, the stirring that you're creating in people's hearts, the stirring to be more generous, to sow so they can grow, I pray that you motivate them as they look over that card and pray over that card, that you'd give them the strength and the courage to take that one step. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.